Hello. This is the second episode of the podcast. The first episode was certainly clunky, but I got it done. I told myself that I would shoot from the hip, do it kind of messy, and I did it. And I'm doing the same exact thing today. But today I'm going to talk about a little bit more of a serious topic, but I think it falls in line with just being more vulnerable, getting people to understand my unique and nuanced perspective, which I think I said a lot in the first episode, but that's kind of what I want the podcast to be is to give my perspective, hopefully have guests on that also expands other people's perspectives and talk about training, talk about um, food, talk about the ethics behind food, talk about all these super niche topics, but everything that I love. And that's kind of the point. It's my podcast. I can choose that, which is amazing. Okay. Today, we're going to talk about my testimony. And when you're a Christian, when you're a believer, this is something that you kind of practice growing up as people always ask you, you know, what's your testimony? And basically all that means is how you came to Christ. How did you get to the place where you knew that you needed Jesus in your heart? You knew that you were a sinner by nature when you came into the world and you needed a savior. And it's the story that you want to tell other people because you are so astonished with what God has done in your life that you just can't talk about it enough. And it's such an interesting topic because Christians do make your te- like the story of your testimony so serious. But the reality is, is I firmly believe that if you are a Christian, you should be telling your testimony at any point, like in your life, any time that comes up, anytime someone, you know, is in need of peace, anytime someone is in need of, you know, love or uh, unconditional love or, or joy or anything like that, they're in turmoil. You should be automatically giving your story not convincing them that they need Jesus necessarily, because that's a little too on the nose for people sometimes, but sharing your story. And that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to share my, I'm going to share my story of how I came to Christ. Um, but people in my life, you know, already know, I say this a lot, but like, I've never had a day in my life where I didn't know that Jesus loved me. And that's because I grew up in the church. I grew up in a non-denominational Christian church, pretty much everybody in my family, they're Christians. And so I'm super um, fortunate to grow up that way. Not a lot of people grow up that way. You know, you do become a little bit more preserved in that sense from the world. You know, I wasn't exposed to necessarily like alcohol and drugs and like all these different things growing up, um, which in the long run really set me up for success in my adult years. Um, but maybe some of the cons in that sense is I just wasn't exposed to the world. I didn't really know how to interact with people in the quote unquote world because I grew up not sheltered necessarily because that can come across as like a dig on my parents. I think my parents did an amazing job, but I think with just my personal personality of banking on, you know, or like really admiring ethical situations or admiring moral situations, just kind of going back to my like, quote unquote, Enneagram one, which I don't want to like self-prophesy that, but it helps me kind of understand why I think the way that I think. Um, it, ex- being exposed to Christianity so young um, was an easy acceptance for me. 
I didn't bucket. Um, I loved going to church. It was very much a part of my weekly rhythm with my family. Um, my grandma was a teacher and a principal at a Christian school growing up. My mom taught um, Bible studies at the church. Uh, it was just very much a part of our daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, um, going to church Sundays, Wednesday nights. I did Awanas, you know, I did the whole gambit of church. And I wouldn't say that any part of that was negative. A lot of people nowadays talk about like church hurt and things like that. I don't have any of those experiences. Um, but going to a Christian university later, you know, I'll, people know that I went to Liberty, um, which was amazing. It completely changed my life. Um, but I was not exposed to like real world, tough, difficult situations until after college, because when you join the military, you are then put in a melting pot full of people that you probably wouldn't normally associate yourself with just because that wasn't like your normal hangout friend group. Um, and that's not because I was better than them or less than them or whatever the case was. It's just because like socioeconomically, I wasn't running into people from maybe other countries or people from other ethnicities and having really tough, difficult, again, nuanced conversations until after college. Um, so just kind of keep that in context. Like I don't have church hurt. Um, I've never had a day in my life where I didn't know that Jesus loved me. And that is a hundred percent impact that has impacted my confidence in uh, for the better, um, as an adult. Okay. Let me back up. Okay. Grew up in the church. Um, I technically, you know, accepted Christ so early, maybe four or five years old, knowing that, you know, in Genesis, it tells us that, that we originally sinned, Adam and Eve brought sin into the world because of their choices. And throughout the entire old Testament, the Israelites, God's people, they were supposed to be a group of people that were supposed to be reflecting God's character, ended up, you know, not doing that very well. And God needed to send his son, Jesus, to die on the cross to be the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have a personal relationship with God. And um, I don't know if I totally grasped that idea, maybe till middle school, um, which is a really interesting and like hard theological topic to wrap your head around as a young kid. But I did kind of understand that, I think, because again, I grew up in the church knowing those Bible stories. Um, it also is just really interesting, like historically, um, when you grow up in the church, like, you know, all of these Bible stories, but I also remember, I remember talking to my husband about this. Like when you grow up in the church, you think that the, the Bible is like a historical textbook, which is not necessarily, it's not, but I didn't have this. I didn't know that these other cultures were having like paralleling um, books, paralleling religions along the same timeline as when the Bible was being put together. Or maybe when the stories were being written um, about what was going on with the Israelites, for example. And so when you become an adult, you like realize that those other cultures like had events going on at the same time. And you're like, wait, the Bible isn't the end all be all in regards to just history. And um that as an adult has been really cool to learn about because then it even more proves um, just how radically different the, the Bible text is from other religions. Um, I say this all the time, but other religions, you know, always tell you that if you do more, if you do more good things, if you were, um, if you did more good things for other people, if you, if you just did more, 
you would become a God or you would become more holy or you would become X, Y, Z. But Christianity is the only religion in the entire world, or maybe one of the only, it is the only one of the major religions that talks about how actually, no, you are not enough. That's kind of the point. You were made to have a desire for Christ and um, you are enough because of what Jesus did for you, not you are enough because of what you have done, right? Like whatever good works is, it's all relative. These are all really hard, like theological topics, but I started to realize that um, growing up. Anyways, I'm going to go kind of round and round. So anyways, you know, I had all these big theological topics I would try to try to wrap my head around growing up. And um, it's just really interesting to go back to um, what are some of those moments, those moments that kind of rocked my world growing up and how did Jesus come in and change or adjust my perspective of those um, particular moments. And some of the things that come to mind specifically are, you know, I had a chunk of years in my high school time where there were a couple people, specifically males, um, who were showing um, sexual promiscuity, um, a lot of pornographic material being involved in their lives, and as a young girl, that was really hard for me to wrap my head around because I grew up in this age in the church where it's like, well, if you love Jesus, then you're not going to deal with that. If you love Jesus, then you're going to have a perfect marriage. If you love Jesus, you're not going to have sex before you're married. If you love Jesus, then you're not going to do this. And I recognize now as an adult reflecting back, that's 100% prosperity gospel, meaning if you do this X, Y, Z, you will have a blessing. Where in reality, like I just said, Christianity at its root says, no, 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 no. You can't really do anything. Jesus did it for you. So it just kind of rocked my world in that high school time frame because, oops, sorry, I just hit my microphone. Um, it kind of rocked my world during that high school time frame because, you know, I had this prosperity idea of like these men in my life, these boys, these males in my life where I was like, but you're, you're a Christian. You should know better you're a Christian, um, or you claim to be a Christian, you should not be dabbling in these other things. And that was really hard. And I would say as a young girl, naturally, because I couldn't process all of these hard topics that I was constantly thinking about, I just became really angry. And I recognize again, now as an adult, I'm very much bent towards wanting justice for things that I think are wrong. And I recognize that that's just it's kind of a selfish mentality, but at its root, you know, I want, I want ethical decisions to be black and white. I want moral decisions to be black and white. I want justice to be served rightfully. So, and, um, I would get really angry and didn't know how to process that through my middle school and high school years when I saw like in my young Kelsey mind, like this debauchery going on or debauchery, I don't know how you say it, um, going on. And I'm like, well, where's the justice? Like, where's the justice being served? You know, like I wanted the gavel. Like I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to slit people's throats, you know, like all in the name of like what's right and wrong. And, you know, that's like in a very immature way 
of looking at things. I'm not saying that what those people, like all those guys, like what they did was right. I'm just trying to give you guys my perspective of like how my world was shaken up during that time frame. Like I got really confused, really angry, didn't know how to process all of these things and um, went to college. And, you know, I kind of already gave some of my story in that sense, went to Liberty, loved it so much, met my husband in the Army ROTC department. We got married after my junior year, so in college. And um, that was, I mean, that's the best thing we ever did, to be honest. I kind of wish we would have eloped because um, I just recognize now, like, we have all the love in the world for each other and we really didn't need a whole lot outside of that. Um, We're so thankful for, you know, the wedding that we were able to have and what my parents were able to do and his parents were you know, they had to make a huge trek out to California, like the rest of his family and friends and everything. So we're not, we don't regret that necessarily, but we just recognize at the time, like we were so, we were babies. We were so young. We caught, we probably could have just eloped or just gone to the, gone to the courthouse. But anyways, I digress. So then got married young and, um, I just started to realize that I had a lot of, um, like, unnecessary, unnecessary, um, pressures on him to reassure me that he was as like pure or he was as, um, committed to me as I had, you know, had thought he was. And in long story short, like he, my husband is the most, he is the most self- like, um, self-controlled, um, in his core, kind, smart, intellectual, Jesus loving man I've ever met. Um, he's incredible. I, I guess I could get a little emotional talking about him right now, but I'm not going to, cause I'm on a podcast by myself. <laughs> um, so I just put a lot of unnecessary pressures on him to prove that to me, where in reality, he never gave me a reason to even distrust him in any way, shape, or form. So long story short, I started to realize that all of this gunk from my middle school and high school years of like being tricked, I felt like I was tricked about all these guys that like I held up in my mind that were actually like, my my young Kelsey mind was like, they're pigs, you know, like they, they struggle with sin. Oh, I mean, that's an elitist way to view it, but, but my young Kelsey mind was so wrapped around that. Like that was really hard for me to process. And, um, and I was putting all that undue pressure on him, my husband in our, in our younger years of being married, because I needed him to quote unquote, like what proved to me that he like was as faithful as, as he was being like, he never gave me a reason to not like it, it, it was ridiculous. And I put him in a tough spot and that started, um, affecting our communication that started affecting like, um, my trust for him. I would like maybe corner him. And I realized like, I just had so much anger and undue processing that I needed to work through. And, um, he ended up deploying in 2019. And during that time frame, I was like, you know what, these communication problems between us, they're like, I have to take some accountability for that as, as my own person. I have, I have to figure that out. So I, Good old TRICARE. Um, TRICARE, if you don't know this, then you're a military spouse. TRICARE will cover like 50-something 
counseling appointments per year. And you don't even have to go to like an on-base like counseling service. I went to a Christian counseling center in Kansas where we were living at the time. And I met Jan, the most angel human being. Um, She's amazing. She's in her 70s. She um, is a widow. And I saw Jan for four years, four years. I mean, we process, we process everything. We process everything from my childhood. We process everything that I was exposed exposed to in middle school and high school and all those difficult topics. Specifically, like if I wasn't sexually promiscuous, like then why would why would I have all these hangups with people in my life that had these hangups? Like why why was I viewing those people so differently, or why was I having such a hard time with that specific sin? You know, like why wasn't I having a difficult time with people maybe who were alcoholics? Or if I saw somebody on the street like that was having a drug problem, like I would be so compassionate. But man, you tell me about a man who has a sexual promiscuity problem and I'll slit his throat. (laughs) So I'm like, that's, it's not right, right? Jesus came to save all of our souls and we are all on the same playing field because we all at our core are, have a sin nature and we all need Jesus because of that. We are all the same. That's the point of being a believer. That's the point of being a Christian is understanding that. And so going to see Jan for all those years, I just had to dig and dig and dig and dig. And it was so unique at the same time, paralleling that, you know, my husband, my husband's deployed. I'm living by myself, just me and the dog, you know, and I was reading all these books, processing all this stuff. And professionally, I was getting to the point where I was getting some good jobs, um, as a coach. And I landed this job, my first job, um, for Air Force Special Warfare. And the interesting part was that I started working with guys who the world would naturally see, or I should say Christianity, Christians, like the good old church going people would look at these men that I'm working with and probably be judgmental because of the way that they self-soothe through alcohol, through, through sex, through, um, because they've experienced a lot of difficult points in their life through their job. And to be honest, if you want the, if you need the biggest and the baddest to go be on the front lines for your country, they're probably also not going to be the most well-refined people. Like you can't, there are some, don't get me wrong. There's some people who can balance that really well, but like, let's be realistic here. If you're going to have people go be you know, you need them to be ruthless, then they're probably going to be ruthless in all the other parts of their life too. Um, and that, and that's kind of hard for Christians to wrap their head around. But I started working with these guys who, um, you know, wait, maybe they were divorced. Um, they were functioning alcoholics. They smoked a lot of cigarettes. You know, they had a lot of, they had a lot of girlfriends or maybe they were active on a lot of, uh, you know, social media or I'm sorry, dating apps and, you know, you can just like make all these assumptions about them or they would, they would come in and they would be, you know, they would smell of alcohol and they'd have hickeys all over their neck. And this is all to say, remember I'm showing, I'm telling you my story, my process. And while processing all this with Jan, like I already said, all that, you know, all the judgment that I just held in my heart um, and why I had such a difficult time with that. I was professionally experiencing all these guys that maybe were rough around the edges, 
but they were the most incredible people to talk to. Their willingness to do things for their country, um, to be a part of a bigger process, a bigger picture, a bigger mission, uh, their selflessness on that level was incredible. And um, I remember talking to Jan and I was telling her about this particular guy who would like, his life was just kind of, it was just kind of all over the place. And he would come in uh, reeking of alcohol and he'd have hickeys all over his neck. And I'd be like, Jan. And at the same time, I'm still processing like, you know, like my feelings towards like sexual promiscuity. Again, let me clarify. My husband and I did not experience any of that, you know, growing up. And um, so it's just, again, it's like kind of a weird thing. Like, why would that sin bother me so much if it wasn't even that close? Like it wasn't in my life. It wasn't in my husband's life. But I just like was ridden with all of this judgment and difficulty and anger and frustration. And like, I was just as driven and yada, yada, yada. And I would talk to Jan and I'm processing all that in my personal life. And then I brought up this like random offhanded story about this guy who would walk in, you know, late reeking of alcohol at five in the morning and have hickeys all over his neck. And Jan just looked at me and she said, Kelsey, you have to reframe your view of the people that you're working with. And even the Christian men that may be in your life that are dealing with difficult things, those things that you see or the Lord brings you and shows you and highlights the alcohol smell on their breath, the hickeys on their neck, whatever, that is should be a sign to you to pray for them more specifically than judgment. That can't be judgment, especially for a guy who doesn't know Jesus, because the reality is, is only Jesus can make them whole. I cannot, as Kelsey Moore. I cannot. I, I can show them Jesus, but at the end of the day, only Jesus can save their soul and only Jesus can refine them. And only Jesus can take them through the sanctification process, which is making somebody more like Christ. So therefore, when I walk into work, not only on a basic level, like on a secular level, I have to be the best coach I can possibly be. But if I change my viewpoint from, oh my gosh, these guys are, these guys are all over the place, you know, like this judgment ridden idea to, to being like, you know, no, 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 Kelsey, you need to be a good coach. So they love you. So they trust you. And again, from golly, from like a humbling perspective, they are handing me their physicality to work with, to refine, which affects their job, which affects their livelihood, which affects where they live, which affects their job and their pay. Like they're handing me a lot. And I, on a basic level, need to um, care for that well. I need to be the best coach possible from a professional perspective. But on a personal level, when they come talk to me, I have to take those specific things that I notice about them or they talk about, maybe the difficulties with their girlfriends or their wives or their kids or whatever the case is. And I need to change that and pray for them more specifically in those areas rather than as a young, white, Christian girl, judge them with my nose raised in the air. And uh, that was incredibly, incredibly, incredibly convicting. And um, I'm not going to lie, once I made that switch, Man, you know, on a personal level, my husband and I really worked on our communication a lot when he got back from deployment because I had was learning all of these things with Jan and I was finding a new level of like what God's love really meant. Like how much can God redeem in people's lives? Like why did I carry that into our marriage? Like how was he feeling that pressure? Again, let me continue to clarify. Sexual promiscuity was not a part of our marriage. 
So the irony and the more frustrating part for me is like, why of all, why is all this baggage like pulling into our relationship? I remember my husband saying, Kelsey, you're bringing in baggage from other people into our marriage that like has nothing to do with us. I'm like, you're so right. Like why, what is going on? And that's what I had to process with Jan. So my husband got back from deployment. We had a lot of like communication uh, conversations of just like trying to work on that specifically. And at the same time, I was working this job. I was becoming a, a much better coach. And it was a crazy, crazy time because I started having guys in my office at work. I'm not I'm literally not being hyperbolic here. I'd probably share the gospel two, three times a week just because naturally it would come up in conversation guys, you know, again, maybe they're having difficult conversations with their girlfriends, or maybe they're having a hard personal life issue. And I would just listen and I would pray for them. I mean, I prayed, I prayed every, I prayed for every single one of those guys in that unit. And, um, it became the next two to three years of like God flourishing at that unit. Um, you know, they probably didn't know that because they, a lot of them, obviously majority of them were not believers. So maybe they wouldn't have seen it that way. But the fact that I started to build trust with them, um, I was sharing the gospel. I was, I was sharing the hope that was available to them. Um, it was also really unique to be again, a young woman sharing the gospel to men who, again, Christians would, I would say snooty Christians would probably lift their nose up at them or have these weird like male and female uh, roles within relationships or within business or within regular life and say like, oh, you know, it's always kind of weird when you think about like that conversation, complementarianism, egalitarianism, like what women can and can't do. What does Paul say in the New Testament? These are really heavy topics. But it was interesting because God gave me opportunities to share the gospel. And I just started, I just felt like God break all these chains in my life of like, no, Kelsey, share the gospel with whoever you want. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a girl sharing the gospel to a guy. It doesn't matter. This person, this guy is sitting in your office needing love, needing hope. You know, I was never personally giving up my like emotional vulnerability to them. You know, I'm a, on a basic level, I'm a married woman, you know, I was setting those, those boundaries, but all I'm, all I'm saying is that we can get really caught up in like the structures of like men and women and like men want respect and women want love and like all these things, which I'm not negating. I'm just saying that it was a really unique time in my life where I had a lot of adjustments in my my thoughts of like my lefts and rights as again, a young woman and like what I couldn't, couldn't do like re religiously, I guess I'll just say that kind of put a period there. We can move on, but it was unique. And, um, ever since then, I would say I have truly tried to step into my jobs and my roles, uh, again, professionally with this idea that I need to pray more specifically for people with what is revealed to me about them within the conversation. If they come across really hard-hearted, that's something I need to pray for. If they come across really uh, crass with their language, that's something to pray for, you know? And I think as believers, sometimes we're like shocked at the world. Like we scoff 
at the world, you know, big W world, you know, like we we're just blown away at like the sin nature of people. And I'm like, do you not remember when you before you knew Christ? Like, do you not remember that? You know, and I think as believers, like we need to be more bold in our faith in these um, these business or professional environments because people are seeking it out. Um, you know, women in general nowadays, like they're bombarded with this like self-love, self-help idea that we can like, we are enough. And I said kind of at the beginning, no, we're not enough. That's kind of the whole point. Every other religion in the world says that you are enough. And guess what? They're all failing. (laughs) And Christianity says, no, no, you're not enough. Christ made you enough. Now lean on Christ. Christ gives you the ability to be whole. And, um, men nowadays are bombarded with so many ways of like, what does being a man look like? Um, you know, is it respect? Is it not respect? Is it being more, is it being more feminine? Is it being more, you know, uh, emotionally in tuned? Is it being vulnerable? Is it overcompensating and being loud? Is it being a hero? Is it being a protector? Do they have to meet the mental and emotional needs of their family? Woo! These are a lot of hard topics. And um, I just recognize like I have such a unique perspective or, or just like I'm a fly on the wall in this world where most of the men that I work with would probably uh, politically align conservative, but they're not, you know, but they're not Christians. So they have... They, they just have this kind of dichotomy of, of wills. They have this two-tone perspective where they're not having their answers met, but they're, they're very pro-America because they signed up for the military. I don't know. Obviously, now we're going into like uh, like the Christian nationalism topic, which we don't need to dive into. But um, it's just so unique. I, and I realize like you, they, they just, they need love. They need prayer. Um, they need, uh, hope like everybody else, you know, oh, that's what I was going to say. You know, women need this idea that like we are ultimately loved and unconditionally loved by Christ alone. And men can realize that like respect can look very different than what the world is telling them. Um, in all different, all different fashions, you know, respect on one end of the level or one end of the spectrum can look one way, respect on the other end of this, on the other end other end of the spectrum can look totally different. I don't know. It's confusing. Obviously you can tell, I think about all of these hard topics. They're not perfect. I've clearly not fleshed them out completely like to a T and it's like perfect and wonderful. Um, but I would say totally like at the end of the day, something I appreciate about my husband probably the most is that he has this incredible ability to work through hard topics. Um, that don't have a perfect bow on them, he can churn on them. He can chew on them. You know, um, he's really, really, really good at that. And at the end of the day saying, you know what? Christ, Christ is enough. I may not have all the answers, but what I do know is that at my core or at his core or at anybody's core, we are people made to worship Christ alone. And if we're not worshiping Christ, we're going to worship other things. And he can kind of wrap it up in a, in, in, in a bow in that sense. Like he can, he can push the pause sometimes. Um, whereas I can 
get really angry if I don't have the perfect end answer. And so we kind of balance each other there. That's for sure. Um, yeah, he's such an intellect and he refines my perspectives in a lot of ways. He can be a really good devil's advocate. He can provide a really good devil's advocate position. Um, whereas I, you know, tend to just be like, well, my Bible story told me this. And <laughs> which again, isn't inherently wrong. Like that's where we balance each other out. Um, but I've seen a really cool like progress, not only in our relationship the past couple of years from that, but also again, professionally in my jobs, like I've worked with so many unique people at this, at this point that, you know, I can see God breaking chains in my hangups of how to talk to people, view people, ultimately know that whatever, whatever, whatever is revealed to me in someone's life, whether again, like they're crass with their language, they talk poorly about people, they're insecure, whatever it is like that needs to be, I need to change that and have that be more specific way I can pray for them. There you go. Okay. Um, yeah. <sighs> Being a Christian in America is a wild thing that I'll just say that, you know, it's really intertwined with a lot of, with a lot of hard topics politically. And, um, I just want people to know at the end of the day that this is an example. I like this right here, this analogy, even if you're not a Christian and you listen to me because I'm a strength coach and you want to learn from me in that area, understand that like, let's say you go, let's say you go to a piano rehearsal, piano recital, sorry, wrong R word. You go to a piano recital and someone is playing Beethoven and it's terrible, like horrendous. Do you then have the view that Beethoven wrote terrible songs or do you have this maturity and understanding that no, it's just the person playing Beethoven did a poor job representing it. That's how I view Christianity. Christianity today in America is, is a, it's a heavy topic, right? Politi uh, politically, it, it's, it's too many inter intertwinings. It's, it's difficult to navigate. But being a but being a Christian, like what being a believer and understanding that Jesus saved your soul because you are a sinner, that's just that's just who Jesus was. Jesus said that he is the Son of God, He is God himself, and we have to reckon with that. We have to decide whether or not we believe that. We have to read the stories. We have to know what Jesus claimed, and did he go against that? How was his character? What did he say that he did and didn't do? And I think a lot of times Christians in America get, they're, they're just bad. They're bad replicas. They're bad recitals of Jesus. And instead of getting hung up on the person, the, the person who innately at their core is still a sinner and they still need Jesus. They're still becoming Jesus through the sanctification process. We have to look to Jesus himself at who did it perfectly. Um, so let's not just point fingers at people who are like trying to be Jesus as bad examples. Let's not just like throw the baby out with bathwater. We need to like look at who Jesus was and you know what Jesus was? Jesus loved the marginalized people. He went out there. He saw it rough around the edges. People, he, he loved them. He prayed for them. He died for them. And that's what we're called to as Christians. And, um, that at the core is what, what I want to be. And 
the vessel at which I'm using is strength conditioning is maybe like a growing slowly <laughs> social media presence. Um, but at the end of the day, I want, I want to be a recital for Jesus and all that he was. And I'm sure throughout this podcasting process, I'll probably have to go back on some of my words and things that I'll probably screw up and mess up things that I maybe needed to like adjust my perspective of, or even my attitude of, cause I'm sure the gavel will be drawn at some point full of judgment and elitism. I'm gonna have to walk that back. <sighs> okay. That's episode two. Love you guys. Thanks for being here. Bye.